Welcome to Evidence and Answers. I'm Tony Solis, along with your host, Mr. Pat Zuccaran. How are you doing, Pat? Hey, doing great, Tony. And we've got a great guest and a great topic for you this week. Yes, yeah, we continue from last week. Again, we have Dr. Gary Habermas, who's with us. He is an American evangelical Christian apologist, historian, and philosopher of religion. He is a prolific author, lecturer, and debater on the topic of the resurrection of Jesus. Also has a new book called, Why is God Ignoring Me? And um, that's going to be the topic of our discussion as we continue from last week as we welcome Dr. Gary. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, fellas. Thank you so much. I, I enjoyed our, our talk before. Uh, it's it's always good to be reminded of these things. I need the reminder. I know that you can have truth in front of you, but if you don't keep reminding yourself of it, it kind of fades away. And so thanks for the occasion. You know, Gary, I've enjoyed this topic that you've addressed. It's a really deep uh, philosophical, theological topic with really no easy answers, and you're willing to take it head on and even share your own experience. And we really appreciate that. Uh, the whole topic, why is God ignoring me? Why isn't God speaking to me when I need to hear him the most? Why don't I sense his presence in my great time of difficulty? It's a really relevant issue, and uh, I'm glad you're addressing this issue. And what do you have to say about the Christian you know, who is out there, who is going through some very difficult times, and they don't sense the presence of God with them right now? What do you have to say to them? Well, in, in our... Uh, first program we discussed mostly uh, that the, the ever-present issue of uh, what about my favorite verses kind of an approach. Uh, doesn't the Bible say this? Doesn't the Bible say that? James 5 with James 1, John 14 to 16, the three times where Jesus basically says, do this and I'll answer your prayers, and we ignore the three times the exact same passage where he says you're going to have real issues and including people trying to take your lives. There's another side to this, fellas, and and that's the what kind of events do we see in the New Testament. One is the promises. What kind of events? And I think that's equally startling, maybe even more so, because so often people will say uh, to me, uh, I just don't seem to see the kind of Christian world that I read about in the New Testament. I mean, you know, at the end of Acts chapter 2, here's the church functioning, going from house to house, breaking bread joyously, seeing miracles. I just don't see that. Didn't God basically always come and heal them and spare them and help their problems? So they're asking about the events. Didn't God virtually always take his people away from suffering situations. I, like, never see that, they say. So, fellas, I heard that question so many times. Uh, how come the actual events in my life don't look like the events in the New Testament? That I, I went through, in my mind, all the uh, relevant New Testament texts. Let's say it this way. I thought about texts where it would be convenient, humanly speaking, for a person to be removed from a circumstance that was very likely going to cause them harm, hurt, etc., of some sort. And, and guys, now I, did, I didn't find a count, <clears throat> something like this. I didn't find 26 times they're removed from it, 
and 14 times they go through it. I mean, nothing like that. I don't know what I expected ahead of time, but I was just really surprised when I found out that almost never are believers taken from situations before they develop or as they're developing before any significant harm comes to them. Almost never. And, uh, if, you know, that, that's the example of the New Testament. We're, we're sort of, you know, going down the wrong path if we think that's going to support us. In fact, I found that there's very, very few times. Now, it is true that sometimes believers will go through, they will suffer for a while, and then God will remove them. But I'm thinking of uh, the, the last half of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter says, you folks are going through some hard difficulties right now. Hang in there, and God will take you through them, will restore you, and then you'll have eternal life. That, that's a great passage in verses 10 and 11 uh, in, in 1 Peter 5. But I, I, I'm not talking about going through something and then getting removed from it. I don't think that's what most people want. They want to get out of it the first time they pray or before anything comes. And you almost never see that in the New Testament. One time I was giving this lecture, and a person raised their hand, and they said, well, I got one for you. And I said, well, you're going to, you know, you're going to find some. And they said, okay, how about Acts 16, where Paul and Silas get thrown into prison, and they're praying and praising God, and all of a sudden the jail cell just pops open, and they get out free, and uh, they get to lead the Philippian jailer and his family to the Lord. I mean, is that one? And I said, no, that's not a very good example. I said, uh, when the jail cell popped open, was that before or after Paul and Silas were beaten? Yeah. And the person said, whoops, okay, I withdraw my question. And, you know, I wonder, when Paul and Silas were taking those, uh, how many lashes did they get? I mean, did they think before the first lash, please, Lord, take, don't, don't let me feel this, and then, oh, it, it lands across your back, you know, and, okay, Lord, I've taken one for the Lord. Before there's two? No, no, there's two. And, and what if they got 20 lashes? And each time they're praying, no more, Lord, I can't take this anymore, no more. And here comes three, and here comes four, and here comes five, and here comes six. I doubt they felt after 20 that it wasn't much of a trial because they only got 20 lashes. You know, so now, now there is a chapter, just a few chapters earlier, where uh, Peter gets out of jail. And uh, actually, the people are so surprised that he got out. Remember, the little girl leaves him standing at the door and slams the door in his face. It's hard for her to think that he really got out scot-free. That, that was not their experience. And then how about this one? In the Lord's life, I found a little more than a half dozen circumstances where it'd be uh, convenient, humanly speaking, for Jesus to get away from suffering. And he doesn't get away from it. You could argue that Jesus gets away from one. And that's when Joseph sees a dream and uh, takes Jesus out of Bethlehem. That's the time he gets away from it before it happens. But what about the mothers and fathers? What if you were a mother or father that watched while the Roman soldiers destroyed your little son under the age of two? How many other people didn't get out? safely. So even that case there is not a good example of people getting away from something. And all the other times in Jesus' life, most notably the Garden of Gethsemane, 
um, with all his uh, emotional strain, um, the, the, the trial and the beatings and the cross, he never walks away from it. And finally, mm-hmm. fellows, he asks the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It seems to me that, that this loneliness also occurred to him uh, regarding his, the loss of, of uh, uh, what, what seemed to be in his mind. It, it seems, he's saying, that there was a loss of, of sensing God's presence. Now, we know God never leaves us or forsakes us, but we can all feel like that. Anyway, that's the other point I would make, is that there's no argument from all the times Christians get away scot-free, so we should today. You just don't see that in the New Testament. Yeah, you know, Gary, you're addressing an issue that uh, we, you know, Christians here in the West, you know, have bought into a lot of false ideas. You know, I can't uh, help but think about what just recently happened up there. I think it's in New Jersey where they had to cancel a profession NFL football game because there was too much snow. And the governor of New Jersey, I believe it's New Jersey, came up and said, well, you know, we're now a nation of wusses. You know, uh, back 20 years ago, people would have braved the storm to come out and see a football game, but now we become a nation of wusses. And I'm just wondering if that can be applied to the Christian life. You know, that we've become a bunch of uh, Christians in the West, uh, a bunch of Christian wusses, you know, when something difficult happens, immediately we're already complaining and saying, God is not with me. Oh, this isn't working out like, you know, God promised. And already we're ready to abandon our faith when something difficult happens. Yeah, we, we, in other words, we wouldn't be very good candidates for those 20 lashes, would we? <laughs> no. If we got one lash, we would say, uh, uh, you know, ready to quote our favorite verse again and say that God <laughs> dropped the ball. Yeah. You know, um, I got a question, Doctor. Would you attribute a lot of the church today being soft? Um, because there are a lot of churches out there that are more, I guess, seeker-friendly types, where they don't teach on the full counsel of God. You know, a lot of churches uh, we know today, um, uh, Christian or supposed Christian churches, don't teach on prophecy. Uh, they don't teach on hell. You know, where we know Christ spoke more of hell than of heaven. I mean, do you attribute some of uh, the church being soft today, not knowing how to deal with um, certain calamities, feeling uh, that God is ignoring their prayers because of the teachings out there in today's uh, churches? Yeah, you can add, I guess we can add preaching about sin, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, Tony, you've, you've hit a, a really good, uh, good subject there. I think about the uh, first chapter, I think it is, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, where he talks about the difference between cost, cheap grace and costly grace. And he says, no, no uh, grace of God is cheap, but Christians treat it cheaply. He says, you know, it costs God everything to provide grace for us, namely the death of a son, but we live as if it you know, won't cost us much. And we forget that he, that Bonhoeffer wrote that book and his other book, Life Together, he wrote during the time of the German underground church when they were being seriously persecuted and that he himself ended up uh, dying because he thought it was his Christian conviction to be, to be, to oppose uh, Hitler and the Nazi regime and what they were doing 
to people around them. And I understand you wrote those books largely to kind of wake up the church. It's it's a different kind of atmosphere. And for many, many years, back to my days in the pastorate, uh, back in the 70s, um, I, I, I collected books on on total commitment to, to Christ, on discipleship. I define that word the way Bonhoeffer does, as in following deeply, not as in our, again, I think watered-down mm. definition today, where discipleship means lessons with fill-in-the-blanks that we do after a person comes to Christ. Don't, don't get me wrong, I think that kind of follow-up is very, very important. Mm-hmm. But I think discipleship, I think the word means following Jesus, and it means taking steps that he took. In fact, the New Testament, John, in his epistles, uh, first epistle, and Peter uh, both tell us that we're to walk in Jesus' steps. I think of that as being more discipleship-oriented, and I do wonder why our discipleship is so, even for people who've been Christians for a long time, we frequently, our, our Christianity doesn't go very deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you think about the parable of the sower sowing the seed, and, and some of the plants withered in the sun because they had no root. And, uh, and I think that maybe, sadly, talks about some of us, our our roots don't go down deeply enough when we get it. How about it, we, we could extend that question to how quickly we get offended when we think the Lord's not doing exactly what, and here's the key, what we think mm. he should be doing. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you know, Gary, a lot of people have a lot of pain they carry some bitterness they hold against God because he let my son die or right. he let my spouse walk out of the marriage or you know he let my business fail well what can you say to that person who's carrying around that pain well I made a comment in the uh, earlier uh, program that that to me a lot of this pain I, I know this is it's a doubly painful thing because what I'm going to say might be painful, but I think for so many of us, we carry this around and we cause our own pain. Many, many, many hundreds I have heard, I've actually heard uh, professionals say the numbers in the hundreds of studies have shown that our worst pain, or most of our worst pain, occurs not from what happens to us, but from how we download uh, what happens to us. To to continue that idea of downloading, almost like a computer, uh, many of us have a default system that the minute we're we're so, our, our belief is so shallow that the minute something happens, our default system is to start screaming at God. Our default system is, there you go again, you know, like that, and and we don't, um, uh, we don't wonder: do, do people have free will? Did someone just do something to me that that uh, you know they they chose? Or is God trying to mature me? Or is there something I need to learn? Or is there something I need to confess? And, and we, we don't we don't go there. We just we're just so touchy, and uh, we think. You know, we'll say something like, well, I'm not saying Christianity should be a bed of roses, but we do think that. We do think it should be. And when it, you know, and it's because people are preaching that you can have it all right now by faith, 
or is it because we just don't know the Word of God? I hear so many of my students say they don't know the biblical stories. Maybe if we knew the Old Testament and New Testament stories about the apostles and prophets being killed, we would understand more of this. But in the, in the absence of not knowing the stories, we supply our own thoughts. But I think what these studies have shown is that the worst thing that happens to us is not the actual events. Again, it's how we download it. So if I download it like this, God dropped the ball. It's God's problem. God made a mistake. He's treating me improperly. Doesn't he know who he's dealing with here? This is horrible. Or here's another path. Here's a, you know, I must not be a Christian. He's angry at me. Uh, you know, I need to trust Christ for the 53rd time. I'm not making fun of anybody. I mean, I can tell you, I've talked to many people whose list is a lot longer than 53. Hmm. And, and so the, the ways we react cause our pain. If we say he can't stand me or he doesn't doesn't want to meet my needs, that could be much more painful than the needs themselves not being met. And so I think one of the biggest lessons to learn here, and I have a chapter in the book uh, on this, Pat, um, there's a chapter there on what do we tell ourselves. It, it's bad enough to lose somebody in our family or any of the other things that you described, but if we double, triple quadruple the pain by saying things like, you know, God must be mad at me. I'll never see that person again. That's that's the Lord's fault. You know, the, these are situations, these are words that cut very, very deeply, but it's the words that cut deeply. It's beyond the event. And if a person says, no, I beg to differ with you, it's because the person died. Uh, many will tell you that when the person uh, dies, you'll take X amount of time to get through it. But some people never get through it. And it goes on and on and on. And that's not the person's dying. That's the open wound that we continually keep there. So I think we've got to do some really, really, real serious thinking and praying about what we, the, the, the secondary pain that we cause, which is oftentimes, according to these many, many, many studies, uh, it is way harsher on us than the primary pain. I'd recommend a book um, that people could pursue this. It was a bestseller, and I tell people that must mean it's, it was real popularly written, or it wouldn't be a bestseller. But the name of the book is Telling Yourself the Truth, and it's by William Backus and Marie Chappian. And uh, it's a Christian book, bestseller. Bethany is the publisher. And the book is totally devoted to correcting the things we say to ourselves so they don't mess our lives up. And uh, both of the uh, writers are uh, Christian counselors, very experienced Christian counselors. And it's, it's very, very helpful to see that the, so much of the pain is additional pain that we heap on ourselves. Yeah, as you know, Gary, you bring up a great point. These are really deep issues, and it takes a lot of hard work uh, and time to work through the pain. A lot of, you know, an another false myth that is in the Christian world that is, is that, you know, if you just memorize a few of these verses, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, pain will go away. Yeah, and if claim you're, it then. Yeah, if you're still... Memorize it and yeah. claim it, yeah. Yeah, and if you're still suffering in pain or suffering through depression, uh, you must not be walking with God. And, and those superficial answers just don't work, do they? Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, I, in fact, many passages that we rarely get to. I, I love, I love that experience of reading God's Word and saying, man... I've read this text 
20 times, and it's never met my needs like this one. And one that often hits me like that is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through the end of the chapter, 7 to 18. And, and Paul starts out and he says, I'm uh, bruised, I'm battered, I'm distressed. And, and he lists kind of uh, a physical ailments and emotional ailments. And he says, but that's, I'm not going to let it be the end of what I'm doing here. And it depends on what translation you read. But basically it'll say things like this. I've been punched, but I've not been knocked out. I'm down, but I'm not out. Uh, and I'm distressed, but I'm not giving up. He, sa- he has a string of those things together. And he says, I'm suffering. And he says, but my suffering is bringing credit to the gospel. It's being done for you folks at Corinth. My example is Jesus, and then he says, the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us up together with him. It's a great verse of eternal fellowship. The God who raised Jesus will raise us up in fellowship with him. So in that passage, you've got Jesus' death, Paul's persecution and impending death, and the heavenly reunion forever. And in the last two verses of that chapter, Paul says, I think two of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, but Paul says that that our suffering, that we should look not at temporary things, like what's going on around us, but at heavenly things and how this is all going to be fulfilled. And I think that's another great, great truth. He says in Romans 8, the things that we're experiencing now, the hurt, are not to be compared to the heavenly reward. I think that's a whole other theme that we should, you know, concentrate on and refocus. Again, it's how do we download? Do we download after disaster by saying this is it, that's all there is to it, God's failed me? Or do we download by saying, you know what, the Bible predicts the same things, the biblical saints went through the same thing, and we're called to persevere, and we will be together one day. And if someone says, well, that's pie in the sky. You say that's where you say, well, then you explain these evidences to me, because the evidences say that Christianity is true. The experiences say that we're all go, going through it together, and I, I think that's that's a great reminder there, Pat. You know, Doctor, you shared with us on last week's um, show how your wife passed on through uh, stomach cancer, um, right. and in that situation, um, you had four kids already and the trials and tribulations that you came through. Now, uh, getting back to the topic on secondary, um, da- how you download things, not just the actual situation, but how do you process it? Those that are listening have similar stories that you've, uh, you shared with us. And again, thanks for sharing that. What would be your words of, of wisdom to them biblically on how to handle these type of situations like the one you were in? One thing I'd say is get that book, telling yourself the truth. But one one thing you have to be real careful of is to tell yourself the truthful things and to get your mind off of the sort of the downer sort of I'll never be happy again. There's mm-hmm. a great one liner. I'll never be happy again. Mm-hmm. I'll never know X. I'll never see this kind of blessing in my life. Right. God must be done working with me. He well. must be upset. Mm-hmm. So on and so on. I, I, because, those, I mean, those things are sort of, they're self-fulfilling. They are, they cause us additional pain. And I, I think really 
I, I would guess that it's that secondary response that is responsible most frequently for Christians who walk away from their faith after they've gone through tough things. Because the more they tell themselves, why am I doing this? Why am I giving my money? Why am I supporting somebody? Why am I taking time praying? Mm. I'm just adding pain to an already painful situation. This doesn't work. Well, if you really believe those things, you won't, quote-unquote, waste time with ministry. So I think it, I think you talk yourself right out of faith sometimes. Mm. And, and that's, that's, and all the time, what are you saying? All the time you say, this is God's Word. This is and it's not. It's your faulty interpretation of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Hey, Gary, you bring some great insight into this topic, and I'm really anxious uh, to read your book, as sure as I'm sure many who are listening would like to get a copy of it. The title of the book is Why is God Ignoring Me? What to Do When You Feel He's Giving You the Silent Treatment. It's a <laughs> great book that addresses this deep issue, not from a superficial standpoint, but from someone who's experienced it, who's wrestled with it, and he shares his insight. And uh, Gary, you know, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, fellas. I enjoyed it. The questions were good. The insights were, were uh, wonderful. And Tony and Pat, I've just enjoyed the time. I need the reminder myself. Thanks. <laughs> and thanks, Dr. Gary. Again, uh, sharing your heart from a biblical perspective. We really appreciate that. And again, uh, the book, Why Is God Ignoring Me? You guys got to um, get this book. It's it's a wonderful book. And we can't wait to get our hands in it ourselves. And again, you can find uh, Dr. Gary at Gary Habermas. And if you want more information, um, give us a shout too at evidenceandanswers.org. We'd love to give you all the information you need to get in touch with uh, Dr. Gary as well. So again, thank you for uh, being part of the show. We look forward to uh, reading your book and hearing more from you. I'm Tony Solis along with Pat Zucaran. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on Evidence and Answers.